Lord, we thank you so much that we're able to come here, Lord, and publicly in one body of Christ, Lord, just worship and praise you, Lord. Being able to lift up your praises, Lord, for the awesome glory that you are, Lord, and the gift that you've given us, Lord, that we're able to call ourselves your children and free indeed, Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts today, Lord, and uh, be with Mark, Lord. I just pray this in your name, in most precious, precious name, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for worshiping. You guys may be seated. We appreciate Luis and the team today. Well, awesome. It's my fourth time to be in worship here at New Spring this weekend, and it seems like it's gotten better every time. I want to just say thank you for being here today. When you came in, you got something that looks like this. If you're our guest for the first time, uh, would you do something for us in the next few moments? When you flip this open, it becomes a talk to us card. And uh, if the sermon lags or something today, just put whatever information that you're comfortable with on there and then bring it to guest services. And the purpose for that is we have a gift for you. We just want to say thanks for you spending part of your weekend with us. There's a big one out there in the lobby in the middle and a little one back by the coffee shop. So please take a moment to come by and receive that gift from us. Um, as we get ready for the offering, could I just make a point that we're getting ready for Judgment House here at New Spring. And Judgment House is probably our largest single outreach in the year. Thousands of people will be on our campus and last year, over 2,000 people trusted Christ as Savior through Judgment House. And so it's just an extraordinary time. And all of you New Springers who've been here through the years, you know that this is just one of the great highlights of our week. So many of you will volunteer. Hundreds of you will volunteer. You know, get here at 3 or 4 in the afternoon and be here at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. So it's just a huge engagement. But one thing I would just ask you as a church, you know, Judgment House is expensive. And so I'd like to ask you to help us with it. If you give using an envelope, and like in the back of the seat in front of you, you can just write in Judgment House and designate what you want to go there. Or if you give electronically, like we give online, in our household there's a designation for it. If you use one of the giving kiosks around the campus, there's also a designation for Judgment House. So give that some thought as you get ready for the offering. Uh, I'm going to ask you to watch what's going on at New Spring. You'll notice there's a video for an upcoming series. Uh, that starts in just a few weeks that I can't wait to get started with. So glad you guys are here. Oh, glad you enjoyed the first part of the worship. And, and my prayer is that your heart will be open as we talk about something really important today. Ushers, if you will, please come forward. Take a look at what's going at New Spring. In just a minute, we'll be hearing a message from God's Word. Please silence your cell phone or any other electronic devices. If you have a child that causes a disturbance or if you need to have a conversation with someone, please step out into the foyer so others can concentrate on the message without distraction. We're starting a brand new small group ministry at New Spring called Life Teams. They're looking for volunteers to serve in a small group. The first step to becoming a volunteer is to attend the volunteer training event on November 8th. Check it out and sign up online at lovemylifeteam.com. Judgment House is our yearly walk-through drama that kicks off next Wednesday, October 16th. You can help out by donating soda or cookies for our volunteers or participating in the 30 Days of Prayer. Find out more at newspring.org jh. He lives out there in the darkness. It knows your name and it's looking for you. It can mess you up wreck your life and steal your dreams. It's the thing.
This is a strange church, isn't it? It really is. We had a spaceship on stage for Living on Mars. We got a vet on stage for Road Trip. There'll be a monster on stage. But I promise you, the thing for all the people who are close to me, I've been saying all year long, ask them. I've said the thing is the series of the year. And it's only three weeks long. So you, I promise you, whatever it takes, don't miss the thing. Because it's, it's really huge. But we'll save that for another week. I just realized, I'm going to use my cell phone as an illustration in the message. And I just realized I had it in the 815 service and I didn't have the ringer off. Wouldn't that have been funny if the pastor's phone had rung during the sermon? Wouldn't have been funny to me. Um, <clears throat> our series is called Road Trip. And, and you know, of course, we're not talking about road trips uh, in the sense of taking an actual car on a trip. We've had a little fun with that. But really, we've, we've considered that our lives are a lot like a road trip. And we've explored the life of a couple in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, because it was as if God invited them on a, a, a journey with him that lasted a lifetime. And so with that in mind, we've taken several aspects of a road trip and we've, we've, we've compared them to our journey with God. And last weekend, I shared with you that there are a couple of orange signs that I don't like to see when I'm traveling because they tell me my ETA is going to be delayed. I'm going to be slowed down. And, and last week, we talked about detours how that we can make a decision to go on a different path than God wants us to go, and it's going to create difficulty and slow us down and cause pain, and we'll make a mess and we'll leave baggage. And so we talked about detours last week. Today I want to talk about the other orange sign that can slow us down, and that's the sign that says road work ahead or construction. And could I just ask you a question? Is there more, is there more roads under construction in Wichita now than usual because it's like everywhere I turn, there's the orange sign. Some of you are late to church. They're working on the bridge over here on K96. I know there's got to be a purpose behind it, or else why would they be doing it? But I do wonder about it sometimes. You guys, a lot of y'all are new to New Spring, and you won't remember this name, but for many years we had a layman here who was a great, great layman. And he had a wonderful dry sense of humor. He was an engineer for Boeing, so he had scientific background. And from time to time, Dick Spring would remind us that the sun was going to burn out in 6 billion years, which meant, he said, that Kellogg's construction would have to be finished in the dark. And I... <laughs> I think about that from time to time, and Dick's been in heaven for a long time, but I think he still smiles when he thinks about Kellogg. But the deal about, deal about road being under construction, if you think about it, while it, while it communicates something unpleasant, I mean, after all, who would want to see a sign like that, expect delays next hundred miles? Nobody would want to see that sign, but there is sort of a promise in it, isn't it? I mean... There isn't a promise in a detour, but there is promise in road under construction because what it says is that the road will be better someday or that there is a purpose or there's an improvement involved in road construction. And I'm the first to say, even though I've joked about construction on Kellogg, that when I have to leave Andover and go to the airport, as I will next week, I do like having that flyover that gets me there faster. And I do think about the fact that when I fly over it quickly, I used to grimace at all the slowdowns. Well, today I want to talk about your life and my life when we're under construction. If you're a new springer, you're familiar with hearing us an expression I use all the time. And that expression goes like this. God will take you where he finds you, but he won't leave you where he finds you. Or God will receive you as you are, but he won't leave you as he found you. Now, our messages typically are about those two things. We say that we're not into religion because religion says, do this and God will accept you. 
But the Bible tells us God will accept you just as you are. You don't put a bow on it and get everything all cleaned up and swept up and then say, God, here I am. You come to God messy and broken because that's the only way to come to God. You come to God just like you are, and he receives you, and you become his daughter. You become his son. He receives you as you are, but he won't leave you there. So throughout the rest of your life, God is going to work in your life to build you. I have a, a, a prayer partner here at New Spring, and she's been such an encouragement through the years. And even in some of the darkest times that we've gone through and the brightest times that we've gone through at New Spring, she'll always quote to me, Pastor, he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I love being encouraged with those words that God goes to work in us. And you know, there was an old song that said, if you don't like me right now, God's not finished with me yet. And that's, that could be true in all of our lives. Now, how does God build us? Or exactly what part of us does God want to build? I think it's safe to say God doesn't build us intellectually. That's kind of your responsibility and my responsibility. God doesn't build us physically. Again, that's kind of your responsibility and, and my responsibility. You could be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and be way overweight and out of shape, like me. Um, but I will tell you this. God cares about your intellect, and God cares about your physical development. But really, that's not where God will grow you. Um, the place where God wants to grow you is the place that is most important in your life. And by the way, unlike what you've heard maybe from some televangelists through the years, it isn't financial either. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, how can I blow you up financially? And God wants to bless you. But I will tell you something. You have a commodity in your life that is worth far more than what you know intellectually. You have a commodity that's far, worth far more than even your health itself. And definitely, you have something in your life that's worth way more than your money, and that is your faith. Nothing is as important to God as your faith. It is the most precious thing you have. If you lost every physical possession you have on the earth, but you still had faith, you would be the richest person in the world. If, on the other hand, please listen to me, if you're a billionaire and you have everything this world has to hold and you're in the prime of health, but you don't have faith, you are below the poverty level because the most important thing in your life is your faith. Now, that being true, what is God going to build in your life? He's going to build your faith. So throughout your life, you and I, if we want to understand, this is the reason why so many of us don't understand God. We think he wants to build us financially. We think he wants to build our health. And we get shaken in one of those two areas and we wonder, where is God? But God's goal in life is to grow your faith. Now, here's the weird part of it. And this is what we see so often in the life of Abraham. Just kind of laying some groundwork here. And by the way, this is kind of a, a working sermon, okay? So just sort of roll your mental sleeves up. This is not a, you know, a cheering kind of sermon. It's just sort of a functional, we're going to learn something today. If you and I want to understand God, we need to realize that he's going to do two things in our life in regard to our faith. He's going to build it, and then he's going to test it. And then he's going to build it, and then he's going to test it. So throughout our journey with God, it's going to be seasons of building and it's going to be seasons of testing. So with that in mind today, I want to talk to you for the first half of the message about what faith is so that you'll understand what we're talking about. And then we're going to talk about testing, what it feels like to have your faith tested. First of all, let's just start off with saying that faith is very important. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says it is by grace that we are saved. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. In other words, you come alive by faith. 
You don't get a relationship with God because you join a particular church or you give money or you've been baptized. You don't get into heaven on any of those things. You get into heaven for one thing. We just read it. Faith. 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 And, and there are kind of three aspects to faith, and I'll give them to you real quickly. Faith is, first of all, there must be a message to believe. It is, number two, agreeing with that message. And then, number three, it is relying on that message. When you came in, you saw the chair there. Your mind said, there is a chair. So now you've got a message to believe. Then you said to yourself, I believe that chair can hold me up. But then you sat on it. That is the culmination of faith. See, you, you have a message to believe. You agree with it mentally, and then you rely on it. That is how you come into a relationship with God. There's a message to believe, the gospel. You heard it, you agreed with it, but you said more than agreeing with it, I am resting on Christ. I'm putting my whole weight on Christ. I read, heard the story many years ago about an old fellow who never had an airplane flight. He's like 90 years old. He was flying for the first time. He got off the airplane. His daughter picked him up at the airport. She said, Daddy, what would you think about it? He said, well, I'll tell you what, I never did put my whole weight on the thing. You know? And there are some people that never really put their whole weight on Christ. It is by faith that you come alive. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 17. By the way, this verse is in the Bible verbatim four times. The righteous or the just shall live by faith. We come alive by faith. We please God by faith. We live every day of our life by faith. And I love this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, you got the heroes and heroines of the faith. It said these all died in faith. See how important faith is? We get saved by faith, we receive blessings by faith, we please God by faith, we live by faith, and then when the time comes to die, we die by faith. Old timers used to talk about something called dying grace. And what they meant by that was when the time comes to die, you'll be ready for that moment. And if you're a Christ follower, you'll, reach, you'll have that moment with peace and a sense of security and actually a sense of joy. And somebody can say, Mark, I don't have that today. That's because you're not dying today, okay? When you, when you get there, you will have it. That is the importance of faith. We are born by it. We live by it. We die by it. Now, in our postmodern culture, there are some strange ideas floating around about faith. And so it's vitally important for your soul and my soul that we define it because we need to talk about faith and what it is. Because I'll hear something every once in a while. I mean, I'll be, is it, is it just me or is it like people don't want to talk about God most of the time? You know, you can't pray in public settings and schools and everything. But you let a natural disaster hit and all of a sudden everybody starts talking about faith. All those people who say we can't pray, they're praying, you know. We'll set that aside. Well, in the process of time, when one of those things happened, people, would get, people that don't normally talk about faith will begin to talk about faith. But it's interesting how they talk about faith. It's as if the faith itself is very important. I hear people say, well, my faith is important to me, or my faith got me through, or it's important for people to have faith. Well, what exactly is faith? I want to give you a couple of examples, and these by no stretch are perfect, because at some point the illustration will break down, but they are helpful to us. In one way, faith is like a power cable. Any of you ever lose a power cable? I don't mean one you can just buy this universal, but I mean one you really need that goes to like your mixer or your power saw, something like that. You ever lose a power cable? Because it's just so frustrating. Because there's the power source right there in the wall, and there's the device, but ain't nothing happening because you don't have any connection, right? So I want you to think about faith for just a few moments, and I want you to think about it in three ways. Suppose for a moment that we have the device that goes with this cable sitting right here on a table, and we have a power source right there in the wall. Now I want you to think about 
this for a moment. Connected on neither end. What is this like? This is like a person who doesn't know God. This is a person that doesn't know the gospel. Here is a person that doesn't know that God loves them. A person doesn't know that God gives eternal life free of charge. And so here they are. They're, a dev- they're living. They're, they're a person. And God is over here on the other hand who's the source of the power. But they don't know. Which, by the way, that's the reason why Judgment House is so important. You know, so many people just don't know about God. And if they did know, you may be one of them here today. You, you don't know that God loves you yet. And, and you want to know that. And just nobody's ever told you. Maybe somebody told you it's all about religion or, or being a good person. I still remember when we first did Judgment House many years ago, and we were a very different kind of church, very traditional. And we would open our doors, and people would come through Judgment House that wouldn't normally attend our church. And today, we don't have that issue, but back then we did. And I remember there was a, a lady who was counseling, and she was a typical suburban soccer mom kind of lady. And, and she was counseling, and a teenage girl, you know, was marked with tattoos and and, and just looked different than, than this lady did, sat down in front of her, and she just plopped some stuff down on the table, and she said to the counselor, this will probably get me killed. And the counselor said, what do you mean? She said, well, I just accepted Jesus, and I can't stay in my gang. These are my colors, and I'm leaving them with you. And a short time later, this young lady went to Bible college and trained for ministry. You know, she was like this. She just didn't know God loved her. She didn't know there was a way out. And when she learned it, she got connected. Now, on the other hand, I want you to think about this. Let's just say that this power cord is connected at the wall, but it's draping over here on the other end because it's not connected to the device. This is where some of you are. You do know about God, and you do know that God loves you, and you have heard the message, and you know that God is there, but you've never connected. Maybe there's something in your life that you love more than God, and you don't want to let go of it. Or maybe you just have, you, you've just got doubts about God and you just say, hey, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I really believe that. You've heard the message, but you're not connected. How sad that is because the power source is available and it's right there before you, but you said, I refuse to connect. Let's take the third option. Let's say you're connected, but you're not connected to God. This is like a person who says, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't know if there really is a God. I never can understand that. Like I told you the other day, that's like a person who says, I'm romantic, but I never date. You know? Hey. But this is a person who says, I have faith. My faith got me through. My fa- I, ha- I trust my faith. Well, what's your faith in? Well, I just know there's a greater power out there. I believe in karma. I, karma, what, what is that? You, know, you think about this. I talk to people about karma sometimes, and I say, what do you believe? What, what, what is karma? And they say, well, you know, what goes around comes around. I always want to know, well, who manages that? Because that person would be God. See, whoever that person is. Can't believe stuff people believe today. It's the craziest thing. But this is a person who just says, I, I have faith, but it's not connected. Just like a device that's connected to the power cable, but it's not connected to the source. Listen, guys. You go through a hard time. It's not your faith that got you through. It's your God who got you through. Faith just connected you with God. Okay? So that's the first thing I would give you today so that you would understand a power, a power cable by itself is worthless, just like faith by itself is worthless. But when faith is connected to God and connected to you, when you're on one end and God is on the other end, faith is priceless. It is so important because it is your connection to God. Now, not only is your faith important, how strong your faith is is important. And with that, I bring my cell phone up here because every once in a while I get out of range and I notice that the power bars 
you know, I can always tell the difference that, you know, my power bars are now I've got the upgrade with the iPhone. It's circles. But you just know that your power is weak. And how many of us have faith, but God kind of goes in and out? So what God wants to do in your life and my life is he wants to build or to grow our faith. Now, let's talk about what we mean by building faith. Because this is going to be, I, I've tried to explain this three times. I think I've failed all three times. Y'all give me a crack. Let me see if I can do better. The building of your faith is this. When God builds your faith, he corroborates what faith is. Faith is prim- When you talk about faith in God, you're primarily talking about two things. Faith in God's promises, what God has promised you in God's word. And faith in God's character, who he is. So if I have faith in God, I can trust two things. I can trust what he has promised me, and I can trust in his character. His character is God is good. God is faithful. God is everywhere. God is all-powerful. That's who he is. And then his promises, he's promised me things like salvation. He's promised me to be with me. Now, guys, let me just talk real, real quickly about a sensitive area. And some of you may disagree with me, but I'd just like for you to hear me out for a moment because I believe with all my heart I'm telling you the truth. I've watched through the years as Christians have wanted something really badly. And they would say, I have faith that this is going to happen. Unfortunately, they have faith in something God has not promised them. And when you and I put faith in something God has not promised us and it doesn't materialize, our faith can be weakened. Let me give you an example. He has not promised to heal you every time. If he did, you'd never die. Just keeping it straight. So many times we say, well, I've got faith that God is going to heal me. Or we've got, I've got faith that God is going to heal a person that I love. Well, many times God heals us in heaven because this life is meant to be temporary. And, and, and now, can you have faith in the ability of God to heal? Totally. That's his character. Can you have faith in God's ability to love you and take you through no matter what you have to go through? Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. When, when you go through a season of building, here is exactly what is going on. God is doing something in your life to corroborate his promises. In other words, you see a promise that God has made you come true. I talked to you about this in the series uh, Divine Whispers. And I shared with you four seasons in my life where God kept his promise to me. And it was powerfully and miraculously manifested. Some of you are going through seasons like that, or you've been through seasons like that, where God's promise came true and it built your faith. Or it could be that God is showing you his character, and you just live out a day. I had one yesterday, and I just thought, wow, God is so good. I was working out before the early service, you know, and I was at the workout facility, and I was just reading through the book of Judges, and God was just like filling my heart with joy at what I was reading. I just started yelling, hallelujah, and they look at you kind of strange at the workout facility when you do that. But, you know, what, what happened was I just felt God's presence right then. God's character was manifesting. And so when, when your faith is built in that area, it's like God is good and God is there and God is everywhere. Now, many of us could wonder, and I used to wonder about this when I was a kid and I'd listen to my dad and others preach. Why then does God test our faith? Because you know what testing means. If building our faith means God is manifesting his promises and manifesting his character... God testing us means there's going to be a season when it looks like his promises are not coming true. And there's going to be a season when it looks like God is not good. And there's going to be a season where it feels like God is not knowing everything that's going on. Or God is not all-powerful. 
Because, see, if God was doing everything for me, I'd never be tested. So I used to wonder then, why, if God wants us to have faith, why doesn't he just show us his promises right up front? Why does he make us wait for those promises to come true sometimes? If God wants us to have faith, why, why, why doesn't it feel like God is always good and always there and always all-powerful? Here's what I've not explained successfully, and I'm going to try one more time to explain. You know how we are. And if God's promises always instantly came true, and if God's character was always instantly manifested in our life, there would be a point where that would stop building our faith. There would be a point when we're not growing anymore. There would be a point when we would atrophy. So God in his wisdom knows how to do it. He knows how to build and then test and build and then test. And he knows that we can't take only seasons of testing because we would despair and quit and give up. But he also knows we can't always take seasons of building. And so he goes back and forth. Now with that in mind, let's talk about testing. What's the point of testing? This is true whether we're talking about it in career field or sports. And definitely it's true when we're talking about it in the area of, of faith. Testing does two things simultaneously. It proves and it develops. It proves and it develops. We'll give you an example of the proving part. Some of you are looking for a job right now, and you're looking at postings. And in a job posting, there's an area that says qualifications. And most likely, in the qualifications, there'll be educational requirements, there'll be experience requirements, and a lot of times they'll say, want a proven track record. Now, what are they saying? What they're saying to you is we don't want to hire somebody who hasn't been tested. When you, have an ed, when you have a degree, you have proven that you can satisfy the demands of academic requirements. You have proved that you can take courses that you don't like and pass them. You have proved that you can live through the disciplines of a four-year program, at least. So if you, have edu if you have an education, you have proven that you can be tested. Then experience means you've been tested and you can keep a job. And then a proven track record means you've been given opportunity and you've proven you've been tested and you've been proven to be able to produce. So when you consider what's happening in a job opening, posting, they're looking for somebody who has been tested in order to be proven or approved. I'm glad you're here today and not going into surgery. But let's say for a moment you're, you're going to have surgery. You got the little blue bonnet on your hair. You got the little gown that doesn't meet in the back, which means we own you here. And so you're getting ready to go into surgery. And, you know, anesthesiologist is getting his stuff ready or her stuff ready. And they're going to be hooking you up and telling you to count backwards before long. And the surgeon walks in and the surgeon's just kind of making small talk with you. And she says to you, well, I, I see you're a little nervous today. And you're saying, well, it's the first time I've ever had surgery. And she says, well, I, I understand. It's the first time I've ever done surgery. How many of us at that moment are pulling the bonnet off our head? And we're saying, another day. I wish you well. <laughs> I hope you have other, but not surgery on me, because I want a doctor who's been tested. Because testing means approval. But in an interesting kind of thing, testing also means development. Because as we are proving ourselves, there's also a development that takes place. And so God tests our faith so that he can grow us and we can prove effective before him, ready for bigger assignments, but those testings actually develop us. 
I don't have near, I need really about six hours to do this message, and I've got 35 minutes. But I wish I could just take you through a litany of Bible characters who did great things for God. Oftentimes, God would have them do a smaller thing before a great thing. Why? Because the smaller thing would not only prove them before God, but they would be proven to themselves that by trusting God, God would get them through. Think, think about David for a moment. He, he was going to go against Goliath, the giant. And Saul said, what makes you think you can go against the giant? You're a teenage kid, and he's a huge guy, a man of war all his life. And, and he said, what makes you think about it? Remember what David said? There was a giant that came, I mean, there was a, a lion that came out, and I beat the lion, and then a giant... I got this wrong twice. A bear came out, and I beat the bear. David was saying, I beat the lions and the bears. I can beat the giants. So, uh, no. It's football season. In effect, the point I'm trying to make before I got off here is that before David met the giant, he had a smaller assignment, and it proved to David, and it proved before God that he was ready. But beyond that, each time when he beat the the lion and the bear, he developed. Same thing with Gideon. Before God called him to lead the troops, he had Gideon take care of a small assignment first. Now, with all that in mind, I want to talk to you about Abraham for just a few moments because Abraham was tested in five areas. And in this testing, he developed along the way. I'm guessing that you and I are going to be tested in all five of these areas. And you can imagine now, with only a few minutes left to go, I'm not going to be able to spend a long time on any of these but I'm going to do my best to talk with you about five areas in which you and I are going to be tested. And so just work with me, if you will, and if, if you want to, jot these down, then you can kind of study them on your own when you go home. I think, first of all, you're going to be tested by challenge, challenge. God will allow things to come up in your life that are bigger than you are. God will bring situations to you that call for more resources than you have at your disposal. I'm convinced the reason he does that is to allow us a season of uncomfortableness so that we will reach out for him by faith and then discover in the process how powerful we can become if we become a tool in his hand. But he brings challenge into our life to build us. And guys, that's true again in every area of your life. If you want to build yourself up physically, you must have resistance and wait. If you want to build yourself academically, then you must be challenged academically. A lot of us are through with our academic training. Others of you are still engaged in it. But for those of you who are finished with your academic training, let me ask you a question. Which are the classes that you remember with the most self-respect? Those classes that were easy and a breeze and the professor basically just let you have a cakewalk? Or was it that professor or that teacher who pushed you to the breaking point and in that you discovered what you were truly capable of? I was thinking, I had a professor when I was in college and he was popular on campus at the time. When he got through at the end of a semester, he would give a review. And basically the review was just the test the day early. He would ask the identical questions he was going to ask on the, on the exam, and all you had to do during the review was copy it down, memorize it, come back. Everybody got an A in his class. He was very popular. But you know what? I don't respect him. I don't respect his class. I don't think I remember hardly anything. 
I remember when I was in the 10th grade, though, and I had a, we were in a big high school in Fort Worth, 4,000 kids in my high school. And so, you know, it was a challenge to get all the way across campus. We had like a five-minute passing period. And so a lot of times you couldn't even get from one edge of the campus to the other ca- edge in five minutes. Just telling you that for future reference. I remember I was in accelerated class in my 10th grade year. You know, we were a bunch of kids who thought we were smart. And so we, I re- remember walking in on the first day of 10th grade biology, and my teacher was like 23 years old. And she could have been a model. She was just drop-dead gorgeous. You know how 10th grade boys are. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked about, you know, our, we said, you know, she's just out of college, you know, and we're going to put her through the paces. Oh, were we wrong? She explained to us on the first day of class that passing period meant that was time to get your, your, your scope, microscope out, your slides out, and be ready to go. She said, my class begins when the bell rings. And we said, well, it takes a long time to get here. She said, that's your problem. My class begins when the bell rings. My class ends when the bell rings. She believed we worked all 60 minutes in her class. I cannot believe how that woman impressed us. I will tell you this. My high school biology class was 10 times tougher than my college biology class. But you know what? There's not hardly a day that goes by that I don't remember something that Miss Wright taught me. And I'm still proud of the grade I made in her class. Because she pressed. And with resistance, with challenge, comes an approval. It comes, there comes with it a development in life. And God will allow you to go through the same thing. Listen, the unchallenged life is the atrophied life. The unchallenged brain is the atrophied brain. And the unchallenged faith is the atrophied faith. God loves you too much not to let that happen. You really, really old-time New Springers will remember a story I told probably about 25 years ago. I think about it from time to time. You know, in the early days when they were shipping cod from the East Coast to the West Coast, they had a hard time figuring out how to ship it. They tried to ship it by rail, and they tried to ship the meat there, and then the meat spoiled, and they tried to, you know, they tried to ship the fish live in a tank, but then when the fish got there, it had just been lying in the tank all the way across the country, and it was mushy. Somebody got an idea. They, they decided, you know what, if we put a catfish in each one of the tanks, catfish are the natural enemy of cod, the catfish would chase the cod all the way across the country in the tank, and when it arrived, it was great. And I thought about that many times to think, God will put some catfish in your tank. He will just allow some things in your life to be challenging so that you will grow. When Abraham was challenged by faith, God said to him in Genesis 12, verse 1, leave your country, your people, and go to the land that I will show you. In effect, God was saying, leave everything you know about the present for what I know about the future. He was tested by challenge. Got to hustle here. Number two, he was tested by conflict. This is a great opportunity for me to tell you that all of the testings of your faith will not be deliberately instigated by God. You will be opposed by people and you will be opposed by Satan. And it will be those individuals who are behind the difficulty they're creating But God will also leverage that as a test of your faith. Because here's the deal. Life is not about beating people. Life is not even about beating Satan. Life is about keeping your confidence in God. And so all of our lives, I think, are going to be tested by conflict. Can I ask you a question? How many of you have known a really highly productive person who got into a conflict and it's as if their life stopped at that moment? All the energy, all the creativity... All the beauty sort of drained out at that moment because they had an enemy and all their energies are redirected. 
God doesn't want that to happen to you and me. But here's the thing. Abraham was tested. And not only was he tested by conflict, he was tested by conflict in his own family. He had a nephew, Lot, whom he had taken with him. Lot had his own business. He had his own shepherding business. And Abraham had his business. And the time came when it was hard for both of them to stay together. Their, their staff began to quarrel with each other. And Abraham said to Lot, look, let's not have any problem between you and me. You go your direction, you pick first, and I'll take whatever's left over. Man, Abraham gives us a schooling on how to deal with conflict in our lives. I mean, first of all, he tells us conflict is, is going to come. Just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean you're not going to have conflict. And could I just go a step further for all of you who are leaders? Conflicts are going to come in high-energy lives. If you lead a high-energy, highly productive life, you're going to have conflict. If you're low-key, you don't take any risks, don't take any challenges, you probably won't have too much conflict. But if you're a top producer, if you're highly motivated, you're a very challenged person, you're going to have conflict. It's going to happen. Now, Abraham teaches us that one of the ways that we can look at conflict is we can think about it's not a key to beat the other person. The world is too big a place to argue over the same piece of turf. Find a way, if you can, for everybody to win. You can't always find that way, but that's a wonderful thing to try. You know, Abraham said, you go your way, I'll go my way. Let's both find a way where we can win. In fact, Abraham was willing to let Lot choose first. Abraham said, I'll just take whatever God leaves over. Give the other person space. But, oh, this is so good, and I wish I could just take time to preach this today, but I'll give it to you, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will help you with this. When you and I have conflict, everything within us draws our attention to that conflict. That's not what's at stake. Abraham shows us what's at stake when you're in conflict. In Genesis 13, 9, let's read it. Four times, there's one word. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Four times, there's the word go. It's not about an issue with the other person. It's about keeping going. Abraham is tested by conflict. And he passes the test. If you've got a conflict right now and it's testing you and right now it's slowing you down, remember, nobody should have that much power in your life. Give that person space and keep going. The third test as we tick these off in Abraham's life, Abraham is going to be tested by prosperity. Give me just a moment to set up a story if I could. <clears throat> Um, you know now Lot, his nephew, has separated from him. We talked about that a minute ago. Lot moves to a really bad place. He goes to a place called Sodom. And Sodom is extremely wicked. Lot should have known better, but he chose it because he thought he was going to make lots of money, which I'm sure he did. But there was a war that broke out that involved Sodom. There was a five-king coalition that started a war against a four-king coalition. So nine kings, nine cities are fighting each other. And Sodom is involved. And unfortunately, the coalition that Sodom is with loses. And it's sort of humorous when you think about it, I guess. Um, when Sodom lost, they were trying to run back and retreat to the city, but they got caught in tar pits. They got stuck. And so while they were stuck in the tar pits, the other kings came and took everything away from Sodom and Gomorrah. These were very wealthy cities, so there was a lot of plunder, a ton of wealth. And unfortunately, they also took Lot and his wife and daughters and everything that they owned, and Abraham found out about that. And so Abraham strapped on a sword with 318 of his shepherds and a few others, and they chased down these kings, and they caught them at night, and they won. And not only did Abraham win, he scattered all the other soldiers, 
<clears throat> and Abraham was left there with all the goods. And so I want you to imagine this. Abraham is leading his troops back with the wealth of many cities. He at this moment clearly has got to be the wealthiest man in the whole world because he has with him the plunder of all these cities. Now, I find something really interesting in the text here, and again, I don't have time to develop this, but two kings come out to meet Abram. One king was Melchizedek. We read this in Genesis 14, 17. After Abram returned, the king of Sodom came out to meet him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High. Then later in verse 20, it says, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Then, verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. In other words, just give me my people back and you can have all the stuff. Abraham said to him, I won't take anything from you. I won't accept anything belonging to you, not a thread of your sandal. I don't want anybody like you to say you've made Abraham rich. Now, what is that all about? This is, really needs a long time, but I'm going to throw this at you as quick as I can. The king of Sodom basically is saying, you can keep all the stuff, give me the people back. And Abraham is saying, look, I don't want any money from the dark side. You and I are going to be tested by prosperity where we get our money and what we do with it. And Abraham is saying, I don't want any money from the wrong source. I don't want any money that's cursed. I don't want any money that's been cursed by drug dealing. I don't want any money that's been cursed by, you know, by anything bad. And then there is the king of the king Melchizedek, who is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. We don't exactly know who Melchizedek is. His name means king of righteousness, and also he's king of Salem, which means king of peace. And in the book of Hebrews, it's sort of inferred that Melchizedek might have been what we call in theology a Christophany. Christophany means a visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, Jesus showed up before he was born in Bethlehem. And there are several of those. Angel of the Lord talking to Abraham, fourth man in the fire in the book of Daniel. From time to time, Jesus would just show up. And there are those who believe that Melchizedek may have been a Christophany because we don't know who his parentage is. We don't see any end of days. He just shows up, and interestingly, he brings out Abraham bread and wine, which we use at communion. And Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he has. Now, I, my wife and I believe in something called the tithe. We believe that the tenth belongs to God, and we bring it to God. It's not a gift. We bring it. And, and we believe that Scripture teaches this. And someone will say, it, it's under the law. No, as Abraham proves this before the law, it's under the law, and it's after the law. The Bible tells us to honor God with the first fruits of our increase. And then he says, you know, the, we can't outgive God's. Our barns will burst with his gifts. So I see that Abraham is tested. He's tested by receiving prosperity. He won't receive it from the wrong source, but he honors God with what he does have. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with the test of money? Now, two kings are going to come out to meet you. Anytime you get a paycheck, there's going to be the king of Sodom and there's going to be God. How do you handle the test of prosperity? Very quickly, there's the fourth test. Abraham is tested by waiting God has promised him that they're going to have a son, a son of promise. But years go by and they don't have a child. You know, Abraham is 80 and then 90 and then finally 100. And, and they don't have this son until Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. Now that can conjure up all kinds of weird images. You do need to know they were living longer in those days. So age adjusted, that would be like them having a child when Abraham was 70 and Sarah was 60. But that's still unusual. 
And we have a few of you that probably are in that age group. You know, if you're 70 and 60 and you're a couple, that'd be something to put on Facebook. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> so it would be rather strange. But they had to wait. I, I won't take any more time with this because Jonathan preached a couple of great messages called Waiting Room that are still online. So if you're being tested by waiting, check that out. I need to close this up. The fifth way that Abraham was tested, let's just put it this way. Someday in your life, you're going to go through the ultimate test. You may have already been through it. But for all of us, we're going to go through the biggest test of our life. I'm guessing for most of us, that's still coming. It'll be the biggest test you've ever had. One of the things about God and his grace is he never puts anything on us that we're not able to bear. God will never lead you into that ultimate test until your faith has grown to the place where it's ready for it. Now, if you know the life of Abraham, some of you do, you know the ultimate test was after Isaac was born and was a teenage son. They've been waiting for this child all their lives. One day God comes to Abraham and says to him, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, and I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah or take him to the place where I will show you, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. God is going to ask Abraham what he's not asked any other father to do. Now, instantly, we can begin to wonder about that and pull back from that and say, that is very strange. We all know that at, when Abraham gets on top of that mountain and Isaac is strapped to the altar, God is going to say, don't hurt Isaac. There's a ram over here caught in the thicket. Sacrifice the ram instead. So we all know God did not really ask Abraham eventually to sacrifice Isaac. And so we could, we could have all kinds of questions in our mind. What's the point? Why would God even ask such a thing? Maybe we'll talk about that sometime, but for our consideration today, it's not really salient. What's important for us to realize is God did not put Abraham through the ultimate test until Abraham's faith was ready for that test. Because by this time, his faith has been built and tested and built and tested and built and tested until he is ready for this moment. You read that in the text where Abraham says in Genesis 22, verse 5, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, I love that because Abraham doesn't know what God's up to. He doesn't know. We know that there was a ram up there and that God had the ram instead of Isaac. Abraham at the bottom of the mountain doesn't know that for sure. He doesn't know what's going to happen on the top of that mountain, but he knows God keeps his word. And God has made a promise that not only will Abraham be the father of many nations, Isaac by extension will be the father of many nations. He's not sure exactly what's going to happen, but he knows Isaac is coming down from that mountain safe. He said, we and the boy will go up, I and the boy will go up, and I and the boy, we will come down. And then we see this also in Genesis 22, verse 7. Isaac, on the way up the mountain, says to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. That's the point I want you to see. God never put Abraham to the ultimate test until his faith was strong enough to handle it. 
in your life and my life, if you're a Christ follower, if you're on a journey with God, there's going to be construction. And there will be seasons. And you will go through seasons of building where God is very much there and his promises come true. And you will sing and you will worship and you will rejoice and you will thank God. And then you'll go through a season that seems to make no sense because God's promises don't seem to be coming true and people will seem to have it in for us. And we will say, God, how can you know everything and not know what I'm feeling right now? And God, how can you be everywhere but not be a parent in this situation? But if you're a Christ follower, don't despair because it's just a test. It's just construction. And if your faith holds true, then you'll have a season of building. And God will come along and build. And for all of us who have been through those seasons of building that come after seasons of testing, we talk about those, don't we? And we tell that story. We love telling the story. Wow. I didn't see how there was any answer, but God brought the answer. I didn't see how there was any way out, but God made a way out. I didn't know what God was up to, but wow, God was all over that. We love telling those stories because it's the building and the testing and the building that step by step leads us into a closer relationship with God. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Next week, we'll close out the series.